to Bick and the Boss. And here we are for Canada. For gold! It's here! Canada yes! has captured the gold. Oh my god! It's fashion and is a local product, Grosso, who is a British Columbian, connecting on the final penalty in the most dramatic of fashions. Canada. Oh, my team finally won something. I just want to say a big congratulations to the Canada women's national team on your gold medal. Olympic champion. Yes, sir. Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Vic and the Boss. Craig McEwen here. As you heard, uh, Halford and Bruff describing what was happening in front of them this morning when Canada picked up a uh, gold medal at the Olympics in Tokyo, the women's soccer team, coming through after such heartbreak in 2012 in London. Uh, a couple of bronze medals uh, the last two Olympics until this one. So exciting thing uh, for sure. And in our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, uh, this is a... a don't at me, a late one that I, I'm reading now. With all the BC women on the national soccer team, there should be a parade in downtown Vancouver. That's from Adam, the former bath guy. Yes, it wouldn't be the first time there's a, a parade in Vancouver for a, a championship-winning soccer team. Most of you out there are probably not old enough to remember, but I am in 79 when the Whitecaps won the soccer bowl, and there was a massive celebration in downtown, the likes that we've never seen before, and uh, a very... I'll say inebriated, perhaps, Carl Valentine, cheering out, uh, saying, hey, um, you're the number one fans and we're, we're the number one team. It's a, it's a moment that I, I will always remember. Uh, shouts to my babysitter, Jane Butterfield, for taking me that day down there uh, as, a, as a young lad growing up in Vancouver and uh, loving soccer. Uh, Peter Shad is a young lad who grew up in this area as well, loving soccer as well. Do you remember 79, Pete? Like, were you old enough then or no? Like, I, oh, I can't, I, I, oh, yeah. Are you kidding? I was downtown. In fact, yeah. I was in the, I'll, I'll take you back now, the okay. Villa Pub in the old Sheraton Villa Hotel, which my dad managed. I was there for the Cosmos semifinal uh, and mini game shootout. And I was whisked down there into the pub as the winning shootout goal was scored. And all I remember were a whole bunch of very big tattooed arms going up in the sky in front of a really bad old big screen TV and beer <laughs> flying everywhere. And my dad whisked me out again as quickly as I came in. And then we were downtown as all the cars were parading around, honking their horns with the flags out the window. So, yeah, of course. I, I mean, I'm a 10-year-old at this stage who's only just been introduced to the glory that is live sports. My family wasn't really big on sports, but we ended up starting to go to the Canucks in 79. Then the Whitecaps won, and I was absolutely hooked from that point. Yeah, and uh, I can remember running around the streets of the North Shore in West Vancouver with a flag and pot, banging pots and pans after all that stuff. And and, and uh, the Cosmos one, I remember thinking when Phil Parks was jumping around, I thought, oh, they're going to count it. They always cheat for the Cosmos. But uh, Trevor Weimark, I thought about getting a perm, Pete, uh, back in the day to pay homage to the great Trevor Weimark who bagged a couple <laughs> against the Rowdies. But I, I didn't go that far. I did not go that far. 
Well, you were 20 then, so I mean, that was uh, banging pots and pans, a, a little odd, but there you go. <laughs> nice. And this in the Dunbar Lumber uh, text inbox, 650-650. Shout out to Peter Shad. Back in the mid-90s, he would play the Friday, Friday, Friday song. Good times. Emily in the Valley, giving you a, oh my uh, God. a thumbs up, a hockey stick, and I think a pint here as the, as the that, emojis that, that in the is, Dunbar Lumber. That goes back to my country music days uh, in Victoria, which is absolutely crazy. So I appreciate that. <laughs> nice. What, what do you appreciate about today? I mean, monumental victory uh, for a women's program that has been, you know, top drawer for a long time, knocked on the door, never quite got over the hump. But finally, uh, they taste uh, the victory of a gold medal match. Your your opinions, your thoughts, your emotions and all that. Well, I'm not surprised given what uh a wonderful person named Jasmine Mander, who you may recognize, uh, another of the many people that have sort of grown up in British Columbia, a very good player in her time, then transitioned into coaching, has gone through all the levels, and she was there, uh, along with a couple of other British Columbians, Michael Morris and Adam Day as part of Bev Priestman's staff. After the She Belize Cup, I had her on my podcast, Quick Plug, Cones and Pennies podcast, brought to you by BC Soccer, and she basically outlined what was happening there and how incredibly impressed she was with what she was seeing and experiencing from this new leader, Bev Priestman, who I describe as sort of like a human can of Red Bull, effervescence, energy, positivity, uh, all the mindset stuff that you need to have to be prepared for this. And the irony is in that tournament, the Americans got away with an egregious handball in the game against Canada and lo and behold, you know, here we are in the Olympics and in the semifinal, the Americans, with a little bit of help from VAR, um, penalty given, Jesse Fleming sticks it away. Of course, we wouldn't be talking about what we're talking today without that. So Jasmine already back then uh, said that she had a really good feeling about this group. But this win today validates all the work, all the preparation, all the belief Think about how much goes into this. I mean, the delegation, I'm going to throw some other BC people's names out here because the medical sports science people, Mallory White, Sarah Smith, and Zach Kalthoff, and Melissa Tancredi, okay, who also was there but not quite at the top level of the podium as the physio, think about what they had to do in this searing heat and humidity with such a short turnaround time between games to prepare these players mentally, physically, emotionally, all of it. I mean, they had two extra time and penalty games on either side of the American game. And when they're down 1-0 and you're thinking, oh boy, this is a big ask now to come from 1-0 down in the 34th minute against a Sweden, a very good side. And by golly, they did it. And what it speaks to is the incredible mental resoluteness of this group. And that is really important because... That's the difference maker. And even in the penalty shootout, C-Mac, how many times did you look and go, well, that's it, it's done. They're not coming yeah. back from this now. And they still, like Stephanie Labe, she's the penalty whisperer. How she managed <laughs> to keep positive and smiling and loose and then ultimately made the, the big save in round six that allowed for Julia Grosso to step up. Oh. I mean, the whole thing is incredible. So it validates the program, and I'm just so happy for that because it takes a lot of people to make that happen. But then the residual effect of what it means to the country, to British Columbian, to young girls who are like watching going, I can do this. 
and I need to go play. I need to go and, and realize my dreams now. That's, that's the part, that's my BC soccer hat now speaking of how pivotal this moment is for our sport. And we said the same thing in, in 2015 with the Women's World Cup. We thought there was going to be a big kick-on effect from that event. And it didn't turn out that way. In fact, the opposite thing occurred. There were drops in female res- registration. And I do wonder if the pressures that that team felt on home soil and, for example, the scrutiny that Lauren Sesselman got for a mistake made against England, whether that was a bit off-putting even to young aspiring players. But this group, this group will hopefully inspire so many five, six, seven, and eight-year-olds and older to get out on the field realize their dreams and by the time they're old enough to get onto a national team and go to an olympics or a world cup there will be far more infrastructure in place for them to actually make a living out of this game and not have to do a million other jobs just to survive in the sport it is a pivotal and a seminal moment in the sport in this country cmac well said peter shad joining us here from bc soccer uh Let's talk a little bit more about the team itself. And, you know, uh, Jesse Fleming, outstanding. One of those ones that I'm sure watched 2012 and said, I want to get there. I want to be there. I want to be there. But you mentioned Labe and her tournament. And talking to our good buddy Paul Dolan today, Pete, and, and obviously he's part of the goalie union, but he felt that she was the MVP for Canada in this tournament. So I, I throw it to you. You know, th- those ones that stood out uh, more than others, there were some great performances on the back and, you know, up front and all that. But in my opinion, I, I for once, agree with Dolly. I-, I think Labe was a real difference maker. Yeah, I would have put it, I mean, there are a lot of candidates, which is a great situation and probably another reason why they, they finally leapt over that final hurdle. But the clutch performances throughout the tournament in the penalty shootout, saving a penalty in, in normal time in this tournament too, which was, was also pivotal. I mean, uh, yes. And, and she's not the tallest goalkeeper in the world. And look at who was at the other end. You know, you've got a, a, a legendary goalkeeper now in the making in, uh, um, I mean, it, 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 and she was still so calm in goal, uh, which was remarkable. How about the scramble at the end too? as extra time is waning and it was, I, I, it was all hands on deck. Uh, another candidate, by the way, I would throw out there is Ashley Lawrence. Ashley Lawrence yep. is, I, I cannot believe what I watch sometimes in this player, a, a rock confident leader at times driving the ball forward on the dribble. Like just, she has everything, but you could go down the list one after the other. Jesse Fleming, of course, Chapman had a good game and, and even a Jordan Heitema coming on, and having to do the hard business at the end to make sure that uh, she was she was pressing from the front, but it's it's impossible to argue with Stephanie Labe because uh, you know in penalty shootouts the goalkeeper has no pressure on them, but they can also define the course of the shootout, and in the end she did. Yeah, and it's interesting, Peter. We've both been talking all this time, and and remiss maybe on some levels but we didn't bring up christine sinclair's name that doesn't mean that she didn't have a big impact obviously draws the penalty, but the simple fact of the matter is you know a little older a lot more wiser not as impactful but a key part of this for sure you know i had um james Sharman on earlier this week uh and he said to me you know she's got to be up there with the sydney crosby's or the Gretzky's in in just how great she is and, and i remember doing a story with her when she was in high school at Burnaby Central and 
this quiet spoken shy didn't like the camera and she's a reluctant media uh, person now and talking to but Sinclair and what this means for her you know the goat uh, and her legacy and and you know perhaps is this the best way for her to to ride off into the sunset although knowing her and how much she likes to compete you're gonna have to probably pull her away kicking and screaming (laughs) well I noticed in the last World Cup that she did so much hard work on her fitness I mean the dedication that she put into her body to make sure that she could still compete at a high level at her age Um, was incredible because that's not just gym work that's also kitchen work you have to be super dedicated in diet and all that kind of stuff and she was just in fantastic shape as she was in this tournament and you're right I mean when you think about Christine Sinclair the first thing that comes to mind is humility but also uh, the sage wisdom and the nous to go and draw that penalty all she had to do was beat her defender to the ball and she did that and in the end that's what earned the penalty. And, uh, and that was, that's just wisdom. But you also see, you know, this transference now of power and how much she means to the younger players. Uh, the other thing that really struck me, C-Mac, in all this is how together this group is. I mean, we saw glimpses of it at the last World Cup. Do you remember the bus ride when Shania yeah. Twain's man, I feel like a woman was playing and everybody was dancing up and down the aisle and singing along. I mean, I've never seen togetherness like that in any group you know, and we don't get to look behind the curtain often, but that was a glimpse of what the spirit of this camp is like. And everybody in that team looks up to Christine Sinclair and wanted to win this gold medal for Christine. Her legacy was cemented ages ago, but this now makes sure her legacy is glittered with gold. And it is the perfect opportunity that if she wants to, to step off the stage on top, but you, you make a good point. I think she enjoys competing so much and is still at a level that she can compete in the NWSL and, and for her national team that uh, that's a decision to be made. But, you know, her, her legacy will be felt for a very, very long time. And, of course, so she was inspired by Andrea Neal, who was inspired by a lot of great players before. And, and it's this now, this, this passing of the torch, this intergenerational transference of experience and, uh, and, and now know-how in, in learning how to win a big game like that that is going to be so valuable for the young ones coming through. Peter Shad joining us here on Bick and the Boss, Sportsnet 650 in our Dunbar Lumber text inbox. Uh, this from Wayne and East Abbey. Awesome win by Canada today. Jesse Fleming, giant killer. Well done. And, you know, we've talked about Fleming. We've talked about the players. You talked about the coach, Bev Priestman, and what she's done. But this team, in my opinion, still has the sprinkling, the fingerprints of John Herdman on it. I mean, Priestman worked with him before she left. Uh, he has to be over the moon excited about what this group has accomplished. And, and he really did set the table for all of this years ago. And, and, you know, in a lot of ways, I felt so bad for him in London that it didn't go his way, especially being from that country and, and you know, robbed against the United States. But... How much of an impact has John Herdman? I know he's now with the men's team doing great things, but do you think he's had on this group and, and, and kind of what we're seeing right now? Uh, a lot. And if you ask any of the players, they, they will all say the same thing. And, of course, they were extremely gutted when he switched over to the men's program, which is a testament of what he did. But the biggest thing, in my opinion, the biggest thing that John brought to the women's program was this idea of the mental training aspect of being at the biggest stage and in the decisive big moments. Uh, And he was fostering that with all sorts of different techniques down to really 
specific details, how a dressing room was set up. You know, uh, uh, I think they even got into things like neurotherapy and biofeedback sessions, you know, like really exercising the mind is not a new technique, but I think he was the one who introduced it, if I'm not mistaken, to that camp. Everything from what kind of music they play in team meetings to the preparations. I mean, every avenue was designed to help prepare the mental state of these players for being um, elite in those critical moments. And that has seemingly carried on. And I also have to say, too, that, you know, a lot of these players now, the Jesse Flemings who you mentioned, and just on on a side note with, with Jesse Fleming, I mean, incredibly, she's cool as ice in the penalties that she took during normal time. But, I mean, she, she's facing a Goliath in goal at the other end uh, twice in this game. Hedvig Lindahl, who saved Janine Becky in the World Cup. Do you remember? She made the saves on yep. Janine Becky after Christine Sinclair handed the ball over, which was a decisive moment. This is a colossal goalkeeper in the world of women's soccer. And Fleming had to face her twice, once in normal time and then once in the penalty shootout and it was a mental game that Jesse Fleming won and there's a great example of just having that fortitude to be able to have those moments but also you have to credit too that a lot of these players like Fleming and uh, and uh, Jordan Heitema at PSG Ashley Lawrence who I mentioned Janine Becky all playing now at the highest level in Europe and that wasn't happening uh, in in that 2015 World Cup to this degree where now, you know, you're playing against the best in the world in some of these European leagues. And I know a lot of people have called out for having a domestic league, and I agree. You have to build a model, though, where players are not having to rely on other jobs to supplement that income. And that's going to be the big challenge is, is the financial model of making sure these players can make a real living playing in a league. And, and I, I applaud the players who are going overseas and not only having a footballing adventure, but a cultural adventure that is going to shape their lives. Many of them have college uh, diplomas that they could use after their football careers are over. Um, but I think that has had a big impact on this team as well, the level of play that they're playing in in those European leagues. Uh, Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. You'll like to hear this one, Pete. So happy for Christine Sinclair. We are proud of the role BC Soccer Associations have had in relation to this gold medal that our women's team has won for all of us in Canada. Thank you, BC Soccer! Explanation point. Thank you, Canada Soccer. Go BC, go Canada. Best Summer Olympics yet. Yeah, everyone at BC Soccer, and you guys do a fantastic job. And, you know, it, it should also be mentioned that uh, Carlos Grosso uh, has a pretty uh-huh. famous daughter right now. Uh, <laughs> and and he's a part of your organization as well, I believe, as a VP. That, that, that This must be feel really good internally. It's like a victory won in Tokyo, but a victory that feels won here in British Columbia as well. Well, you know, and BC soccer gets a lot of heat when there aren't British Columbia people involved in the men's national team program. Why is that? And and a lot of times I always say, well, there's some really good things happening in other provinces that have a lot more people as well. It's not always what we're not doing, but you have to also give credit to our colleagues, and they are our colleagues. We're all member organizations of Canada Soccer, and we support the other provinces and want them to do equally well. Um, but it, it is, again, it's also validating for all the work that gets put in. I mean, I was texting back and forth with Luca Della Pace today, and there was a Julia Grosso jersey hanging in the window of our office, and it's just like that is so 
poignant today and how proud Carlos must be because they were just, they, I, can you imagine for a moment being a dad of the player no. taking the decisive kick and then, you know, <laughs> Lindahl gets over and got a hand to it, but there was too much power and it's in. And you could see in the ISO that Julia Grosso's eyes already big and quite beautiful lit up even bigger as the goalkeeper dove the right way. And then the relief as it went through, I mean, what a moment, but yes, we, we all share in the success and, and all these people, Maeve Glass is another British Columbia. She's the equipment manager. She has a role to play in this. And Maeve is quite a character. And I'm sure that her personality and who she is brought another little ingredient to this team that it needed to be successful, but we all share in it. You know, it's not just BC soccer. It's not just the BC SBL. It's not just the provincial program. It's the parents who take their kids to games. It's, it's, the people who go and and supply equipment, it's, you know, it's not down to one organization or one group. We're happy and so happy for it. But our job is to keep growing it, keep building it. And in fairness to our board of directors, led by Gail Statton, but also led by the, the chairman of our uh, equity and, and diversion, uh, equity and inclusion group, Deb Pudick, you know, they are making sure that the policies we create provide this climate that allows everybody to play. And, and if that keeps happening and if people feel like they're welcome in their sport and they are valued in the sport and that they are growing because of the sport, then it can only help, especially after the year that we've had. I mean, this has been one of the most difficult years in the history of sport in our country. And somehow we've made it out the other side and let's just hope it keeps growing because we really need it now. We really need the community of sport to, to rebuild and heal from what's happened over the last 18 months. Yeah, and, and a victory like this, Peter, is something that you know ignites a nation. It brings people together and, and so happy for this. Uh, one more from our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Tell Pete hi from Keith Duggan. We went to elementary school together. <laughs> well, Keith, see, Keith and I, would have grown up just up the street from the old Dunbar Lumbar, right on the foot of Dunbar <laughs> Street, which we would have seen all the time. And so that's, it's like coming full circle how, uh, sometimes. And, and I, I, I seem to recall both Keith and, and Jamie uh, both had a little bit of nous on the football pitch. I remember the, I mean, those were glorious days back then when, you know, the, the, the Dunbar area was so rich with football. It was all families and it was all European immigrants that, brought the love and the culture of the game into the west side of Vancouver and also the east side and the north shore. And times have really changed and demographics have really changed. And that has also changed a little bit in the makeup of soccer and sports in our province. But a game like this today and a result like this today, again, it transcends culture. It makes everybody proud. And let's hope it does now kick on this new wave of youngsters encourage them to play and get out from behind the screen and get onto a field and deal with actual live people uh, and play the sport because that ultimately is going to keep generating great players. Here, here. Well said, Peter. Fantastic catching up with you, talking with you today, celebrating with you today. It's not as good as the Villa pub, perhaps, back in those uh, <laughs> 79 Whitecaps times. But, yeah, who knows? Maybe there will be a parade, and, and I'll be there. I'm sure you will be cheering on the, these young women who – and some older women now and Christine Sinclair that just did a fantastic job here and brought this country home a gold medal. And I will say without any 
hesitancy that this will also inspire the men who have a lot of connections to the players that are here on this team who are gold medalists today. They're heading into a grueling 14-game odyssey in CONCACAF for the World Cup 2022 in Qatar in a year from December. And that starts already in the fall. And if you don't think that this will also inspire them, you're kidding yourself because they want to be able to match some sort of glory. And getting to the World Cup would be a fantastic start. Yes, and, and we'll talk more of it down the road. Peter, fantastic stuff. Enjoy uh, the rest of your day. Peter Shad from BC Soccer joining us here on Bick and the Boss. And yeah, he mentioned the, the men's side as we came into this segment. Uh, Alfonso Davies, that was the voice you heard, uh, congratulating the Canadian women on winning that gold medal and, and hopefully bigger and better things to come as well for the Canadian men in that World Cup qualifying. Uh, still a little bit more to come here on Bick and the Boss. We've got uh, the million dollar man, Scott Brown, and Stat Me Up. Plus, uh, we will head to Regina to check in on what's going on with the BC Lions as they open up their CFL season this evening at Mosaic Field. That and uh, maybe a tad more when we return here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Our final show of the week hits the home stretch here on Bick and the Boss. Craig McEwen with no Bick. Bick uh, taking a little... Well-deserved rest this week, but he'll be back on Monday on the station, but not on Bick and the Boss. He'll be hanging with uh, Karen Sermon on Rintoul and Sermon. And I don't think anyone takes more time off than Scott Rintoul. I'll have to talk to him about that. Uh, Great uh, conversation there with Peter Shad uh, from BC Soccer, talking about uh, Canada's victory uh, at the uh, Olympic Women's Soccer Tournament. A thrilling uh, win in the shootout and, and, you know, the ups and downs in watching that and seeing Sweden have uh, a couple of opportunities to put it away. It was uh, one of those things where you're biting your fingernails and going, oh, this could be it. And it just seemed like sometimes uh, in tournament football, there there are teams of destiny. And in a lot of ways, you look at what Canada had to go through, Brazil, United States, Sweden, the top countries in the world, they, they full full marks for their victory, full marks for the gold medal, but uh, a tough road for them to go down and and they come out on top. Uh, Scott Brown, Fifth Avenue Real Estate, uh, joining me now. And and I I know, Scott, um, I'm sure you're enjoying the Olympics and and also pretty happy with the fact that uh, Canada picks up another gold medal and this time in a team sport and, and something that will inspire a lot of young soccer players across the country. There's a woman who works with us Melanie Salmon, who's the director of sales, she has been so enthusiastic about the Olympics in our community chat as a company, and she is a super soccer fan. So she was, I was so excited watching her this morning, but watching her go nuts through the chat was even way more fun. So it's <laughs> such a huge win. I was also worried when we were in the penalty going, okay, is this going to be England all over again? And then it was like, yep. well, nope. <laughs> it's no, that, that was my worry a little bit too. Yeah, yeah. It, it, listen, the penalties are always tough because it, it's just such a lottery as the term goes because it looks so simple. It looks like everyone should score that the goalies don't have a chance, but put a pressure of a gold medal uh, hanging around your neck or trying to get it. Yeah, people uh, sometimes uh, don't handle the pressure all that well, and I would say Sweden didn't uh, today for sure. 
No, no, not at all, man. They look like they had it uh, in their own eyes, and then all of a sudden it's just uh, talk about. I mean, I, I don't want to. I'm going to go home watch it again. I was at work watching it. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, Stat Me Up with Scott Brown from Fifth Avenue Real Estate, uh, and uh, Scott, I, I will start with you and and your your stat for the week. You know, I picked the number thirty-five, and. So yesterday, I was pretty geeked up about something else, but I definitely the Olympics has been, and I'm a softball guy too, so watching that, you know, and the time zone certainly hasn't made the Olympics easy. I remember when I worked in Asia, and I'd have to do math to call home going, okay, plus 12, minus this, to figure out, you know, that seven at night I could call my family at, you know, (laughs) noon, right? It's just weird math. But kudos to the women's soccer, women's softball. I'm disappointed a bit, though, that softball's on hiatus because the Paris Olympics didn't want it, but it's coming back after that for for, for the next Olympics. But easier time zone to manage, and if it wasn't for such an exciting thing to do with Canada and soccer, there's another type of football that I'm getting jacked up about. Now, not watching NFL simulation games, okay? That wasn't exactly a joy. 16-3, Steelers over Cowboys. Who cares? But... My number for today, 35 days for the season kickoff. Cowboys again, not at the Steelers. Cowboys at Bucks, Thursday night, September 10th, 35 days. Chris and Al will be there live. It's Sunday night football. I am so looking forward to football with fans in the stadiums. NFL football. I'm looking forward to CFL football too, but I'm counting down 35 days. Totally agree with you. And... You know, we had Emory Hunt on yesterday. He talked about normalcy. At least that Hall of Fame game, as bad as it is, it brings some normalcy back into our lives. Uh, my uh, stat or number this week is the number six. Yes, that's uh, Berrios uh, striking out someone at uh, the Rogers Center. And, and listen, Scott, uh, since returning home, the Jays have played really well there. They've had six different starting pitchers make their Rogers Center debut, and they have combined to go 5-0 and with a 1.45 ERA, 32 strikeouts, and seven walks. So uh, Jays returning to Canada has been big, and, and Ben Wagner told us, just having fans cheering for you, like when they're playing in Buffalo, they're playing the Yankees, maybe there's more Yankee fans there than there would be Jays fans. So having that home faithful cheering you on is really impactful for Toronto's baseball team. And I'm a huge Jays fan, and I'm actually really, as much as it's, you know, I enjoy Buck on TV, I actually like now that the radio guys are back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a lot more fun. And then it's seven out of eight is starting to remind me a little bit of that streak. They went on a couple years ago where they got price at the deadline. Donaldson was hot and they went, they had an amazing August. I remember. And then all of a sudden now we're in the playoffs. Right. And uh, so I don't know if we're there yet, but it's sure been a lot of fun to watch. I'm tuned into it every day on my phone, watching it. And they look like they're having a lot of fun together too, which is fun. Yeah, they do. The the jacket they give with a home run, welcome to yeah, the neighborhood, cool. all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah, very good. What's your real estate number this week, buddy? Well, you know what? Uh, we're supposed to see seasonality in July and August. And as much as everybody's saying, oh, it must be slowing down because it wasn't as many sales in June. Look, folks, it always slows down. But, 
is in July, 5,332 homes sold in all of Metro Vancouver. That's still a big number. And what I track it against is against the 10-year average. So it wasn't record-setting, but it's 11 it's, – it's basically 15% in the Fraser Valley higher than the 10-year average for July and 13% for Vancouver. So sales are still really strong. Uh, buyers have a little bit more time, and there's less pressure on pricing, which is okay for everybody. But the thing that shocked me is the activity in the condominium market, even the pre-sale market, on an August-long weekend – one project, EastleyLiving.ca, sold 60 homes on an August long weekend. Nobody ever tries to start sales on an August long weekend. So there's still such demand, and it's all along that SkyTrain corridor right now from the 60th, the SkyTrain corridor that's coming from 160th, pardon me, in Fraser Highway right to Langley City is completely being, you know, just it's on fire with first-time buyers and investors going Okay, it's coming. The government announced the feds are funding it, and that corridor is something to watch because to see that kind of sales in August, the only explanation for that is the SkyTrain announcement. Well, we will definitely keep an eye on that, and uh, here's to the, the market uh, continuing to go in the right direction uh, in, the, in the months to come. Thanks so much for doing this. Yep. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend, Scott, and uh, we will uh, catch you next week. You too, brother. Take it easy. Excellent. Scott Brown uh, joining us. Stat me up from Fifth Avenue Real Estate. Uh, interesting stats there from a number of different perspectives, real estate and also sports. And this in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox is Scott was saying, hey, with Canada today, he was thinking, oh, hopefully it wasn't going to be England again. Sean from Waterloo. 650-650. Technically, it was England again. It was just that Sweden played the role of England. Sweden-England took the early league. Canada came back in the second half. Then Canada slash Italy won in penals. Very good point, Sean. Very good point. Yes, the uh, Canadian women celebrating a gold medal victory in Tokyo uh, on penalty kicks. Uh, Julia Grosso, local product, uh, scores the winning goal. And uh, nice to see the celebration and all the hard work put into uh, that program to, you know, get to where they are right now and to figure out that, hey, you know, we can win another color outside of bronze. Uh, tonight in Regina, the BC Lions uh, kick off their season. And it's been a long, 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 long wait for football fans here in Vancouver to see their Lions play again. And we're happy now to be joined by Matt Baker uh, from the communications department of those BC Lions. Matt, uh, how is uh, Regina and how are things looking for this evening? Well, first off, C-Mac, uh, good to talk to you. Uh, good to be talking football. And yeah, I can give you an accurate scene setter. I'm standing in the end zone at Mosaic. It's completely empty. I'm looking at the empty Pilsner section and I'm guessing a few hours from now, it's not going to be so quiet in there. Yeah, and, and hey, for those people who haven't had the pleasure, and listen, I haven't been to Mosaic, I was at Taylor Field, but uh, the, the Pilsner and the raining down of uh, <laughs> beer cans and garbage yeah. sometimes that come from Ryder fans, it's it's quite the spectacle. Listen, that's football country, and to see the passion, the, the pride on display, it's it's a hostile environment, and, and I'm sure you know when you when you look at kicking off a, a new season and going in there, it's not for the faint of heart. Not at all, and and that's something Campbell, um, who, by the way, been very impressed with him and the way he, he runs the ship. 
Um, basically, from day one at training camp in Kamloops, he was he was making sure these guys wouldn't forget. Look, two three weeks from now, we're going into Regina. We're going to have thirty plus thousand people. And yeah, talk about baptism by fire. Um, lots of intriguing elements to this season. You mentioned the layoff. Uh, you mentioned the fact. I mean, fourteen games. It's pretty much going to be a sprint. It's going to feel like playoff time here, right? And, um, yeah, I mean, as good as this Lions team, uh, I think, looks very good on paper. There's been lots of buy-in here early. You're right. Uh, we're going to find out here pretty quickly the makeup of this squad. But I, you know what? Talking to the guys, talking to the players, coaches uh, throughout the organization, they wouldn't have it any other way as far as how to start it. Matt Baker joining us here from the BC Lions. Matt, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more X's and O's in a second, but I guess it's the uh, health uh, of uh, your quarterback, Michael Riley. I know he was on a pitch count this week. Uh, the expectation is he's going to play this evening. Is there an update there? How is he doing? How is he feeling? And, and you know, in all reality, I mean, he's been around the block. He knows what it's like to play there. He's the Lions' best bet at quarterback for sure. Absolutely, and uh, that's not to take anything away from Nathan Rourke, who seemed to uh, improve day by day in training camp, and as a result made uh, a veteran on the roster, Will Arndt, um, expendable as far as the cuts went. But yeah, uh, all signs to point toward Michael being good to go. I mean, uh, he's pretty much settled into his regular routine, doing all the various media commitments all the day before sit-downs last week, and you know, talking to him and um, all the other stuff that's been published, I mean, Whatever arrangement was done as far as limiting him, holding him back in practice was designed to make sure he was ready today, Friday. So um, don't expect any changes in that regard. It will be interesting to see him, uh, you know, we're talking about how we're starting off here. It will be interesting to see how he really, given the the amount of of reps he missed. But you know what? It's a veteran guy. I mean, he's talked at length about how the long layoff has helped his body recover from other various bumps and bruises he had the last couple of years remember he broke his wrist in the 2019 season but um yeah i i, I would expect to see michael riley uh, running this offense uh the way we're accustomed to seeing and um yep it's gonna be fun um when he has when the lions have the ball and the noise uh that's gonna be an interesting element as well but um everything was sort of done with the design of making sure he was fresh and ready to go here tonight yeah, and that's great news for BC Lions fans. I guess the the other great news would be the fact that they addressed some issues on the O line. I know there's been some changes yeah. people brought in. That that was a real problem area for the team the last time they played. But how does that stack up? I I saw you and Julio Caravetta uh, do a little preview uh, about the team, and 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 he talked about the 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 O line. That is a key area, and and one that I know the club put a high importance on to improve. So where are they at? And I guess our, our good buddy, Kelly Bates, what type of job has he done? Yeah. Well, it's no denying the impact Kelly made upon uh, taking over. I guess it would have been halfway through 2019, but yeah, I mean, uh, one of the first additions uh, in 2023 agency going back over a year ago was Riker Matthews. They had to utilize that right tackle spot. So, I mean, Riker has brought a veteran presence. This is a guy who's been an all-star in this league. He's going to be huge. Um, and, you know, one of the more interesting storylines throughout the whole shutdown CMAC was Joel Figueroa, Miami guy. Uh, Peter Godber, starting center, back east. This is a group that decided, before COVID, unfortunately, put a wrench into it, this is a group that decided to stay in Surrey, stay local, work out together. 
because they were just flat out pissed off about the way 2019 ended. So I think we saw a carryover of that in camp. Um, I mean, the way the offensive line performed, you're like, yeah, this is a group that has that off-field chemistry that that position group ultimately needs. And they know it's at stake. They know they know it, it all starts at the line of scrimmage. To, I mean, it gets said a lot, but that's important. I mean, whoever wins the line of scrimmage is going to ultimately most likely come out with the W. So, um, you know, I mentioned a few guys there. Sook Chung is a guy who's really motivated. He was a big free agent signing uh, the day Riley signed here in 2019. He wants to improve. He wants to get back to his all-star form that he showed for a couple of years in Winnipeg. So, um, but that goes for both sides. And I don't know if you're going to ask about the defensive line, but that's kind of a group, five new starters on the defensive line. Um, and that was a group that showed well. One day the offense would perform, the next day the defense would perform. I think that's the sign of good complementary football. So um, J.R. Tavai, nice veteran addition from Ottawa, is familiar with Rick Campbell. Uh, give you another name to watch out for, Obum Gwacham at the quick end spot. That's a guy who has some NFL experience with the Saints and the Jets, was a Seahawks draft pick actually as well in 2015, I want to say. So, um, you know, these names might not register yet with fans, but we're hoping that they will starting tonight. Yeah, and, and, and the hope too, Matt, is the, is the fact that the, the Lions are going to, like every team, find their way into the season. They're, they're going to, you know, have to work through some things. Training camp obviously probably wasn't the best with the smoke and moving, you know, down right. back to Surrey. And, and, and there's some hurdles, but but I'm assuming – uh, with Campbell being around for as long as he has and, and the way he runs things, you know, that fatherly type figure that he set this team up for success as best that he can. Yeah, and, and he may be, just be making his debut finally tonight, but that's another guy who has been living full-time in Vancouver pretty much since January of 2020, you know, so he's gotten to know the community. He knows how uh, he knows how uh, desperate the fans in the market are for a winner, for an improved team. And um, hey, and he hasn't he has experience turning teams around. Was a Grey Cup champion in what year three with the Ottawa Red Blacks. So um, this is a head coach who's won at this level, and obviously uh, he's looking to do what he did with the Red Blacks. So yeah, this entire coaching staff, CMAC. Um, you know, guys, you know, there's a familiarity with a couple of them. I mean, some carryover, that's what it's like. It's who you know. And there's a couple holdovers that Rick had with the Red Blacks that he brought over. So, yep, again, been quite impressed with how he sort of goes about his business. He runs a tight ship, but kind of in a calm way. So uh, that's, just another, <laughs> that's just another thing we're, we're finally excited to see here in a few hours' time. Yeah, and... Final few minutes here with Matt Baker from the BC Lions. How tough has this wait been for the football team, for you, the organization? Uh, I mean, it's so difficult, this pandemic, to navigate for the best of all of us at the best of times. But it must have been excruciating to just wait and wonder and, and want to keep playing football. So I guess, you know, how tough has it been and how much does this night excite the entire organization? Well, it's turning the page, right? I mean, the layoff was one thing, I mean, but you look at all the stuff that happened. I mean, uh, owner David Braley passing away, um, you know, GM Ed Hervey left, and a lot of uh, kind of just one thing after another, gut punch after gut punch. And um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the layoff was, was bad in itself. And it's, it's funny, we're, we're almost approaching, I think, the one-year uh, mark of uh, 2020 being 
shut down. I think that was August 17th. So definitely a lot of reflection right now. And uh, like I said, I'm standing here uh, at Mosaic uh, in the end zone, just trying to soak it all in before my work really picks up for the night. And because, you know, you're in this same boat, C-Mac. You're still a fan, right? I mean, yeah. whenever you whenever you step inside a venue, even though it's a business environment for you, you kind of just have to sit back and kind of soak it all in. And uh, I can't tell you what's going to be going through uh, our minds um, when the fans roll in here and they sing the national anthem and finally uh, get the ball on the tee. Well, enjoy. Really appreciate you doing this, Matt. Yeah. Um, have fun tonight. Uh, let's uh, hope for a Lions victory. And, and at the very least, uh, watch out for those flying Pilsners. Yeah, I forgot my I forgot my helmet. I knew I forgot one thing. You know, it's been a while since we had to pack for one of these trips, but may have to like uh, duck behind the equipment guys or something. But yeah, anytime. Uh, always glad to be talking football. Uh, you can find me anytime. And yeah, great to be back. Thanks, Matt. Really appreciate it. Uh, Matt Baker from the BC Lions joining us here on Bick and the Boss as the Leos open up their season tonight in uh, Regina, Mosaic Stadium. Uh, not a better. CFL city than Regina. They're just all in. It's very reminiscent of going to an NFL game with the tailgating, the fans just green painted faces, jerseys, hats, you name it. And there's no more passionate uh, football people than those uh, in Saskatchewan and and truly a, a, a team that is loved by the entire province uh, and we'll have to see how the lions are going to do listen the expectations for this football team i would say are, are low they did not have a a great year before the stop of the pandemic and in reality you look at it and go hey a lot of new faces lots to to work with but the the one thing about the cfl and we used to joke about this back in the sports page days is that all it takes is kind of three weeks in November. And, and this year, that's going to spill into December. But if you can make the playoffs, find a way in a very tough West Division to get there, that uh, you have a shot at winning the Grey Cup. Because it, it's the one sport, uh, and, and some people knock it for this. I, I tend to think of it that there's some parity and some uh, opportunity. But you just have to get in to win. And the Lions have, have won with a sub-500 record before. And the Lions have done some great things once they get to the playoffs. So hopefully the turnaround for them here is coming uh, very soon. Uh, our time is up here this week on uh, Bick and the Boss. It's time to turn things over to the uh, People's Show with uh, Dan and Sat. Randeep, uh, like Bick, is off this week. But uh, they have some uh, very intriguing, interesting uh, guests coming up. Uh, Claire Rustad former national team women's soccer player joining them, Adnan Virk, Josh Clipperton, and Dave Pagnota. Uh, also uh, here to, to talk hockey and no doubt uh, discuss the Darnell Nurse move and, and maybe what that means for Quinn Hughes and his contract negotiations. I uh, hope you all enjoyed your week. Hope you all have a very safe weekend, and we'll catch you again on Monday here on Bitcoin the Boss on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.